We're moving this week from the holiness of God, the glories and the praise and holiness of God, of holy, 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 to today the unholiness of man. <laughs> it's like from the height of the heights to the depths of the depths. And, and oh, by the way, speaking of the, the depths of the depths, somebody took our fans. <laughs> if, if, if you borrowed them, please bring them back. <laughs> so, uh, but... Uh, you know, last week was kind of fun as we, we looked at holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. And today is, is kind of the opposite because we consider now when his church is not so holy. And, and I think I read this, this suggestion right and understood the intent of it. It's basically about uh, when Christians, how do we respond, how do we respond when Christians are choosing to live wrong lives. Uh, you can call it ungodly, you can call it sinful, but, but wrong. What about when believers sin? We, we understand when sinners sin because they're sinners. It makes sense. That's what they do. It's what they know. They don't have something better. But, but how is a follower of Christ supposed to, how is, the person, how is the person who is wanting to live for Christ to respond to the person who claims Christ but does not live for him, that chooses to live what is clearly wrong lifestyle, sinful choices? Uh, how do we follow that? How are we supposed to relate to that person? So we're going to look at, at what the Bible says about dealing with sinful brothers in general. Uh, we're going to basically discuss the fact or consider the fact that the church is doing a really bad job of doing what the Bible says it's supposed to do. Uh, and then what do we do about it personally? Uh, because that's really where the, the, I think this question is. So first of all, the Bible pattern is confront and restore. It's not confront, it's not condemn. It is neither of those. It is, it is confront and restore. Honest restoration is not ignoring a sin and glossing it over and pretending everything is okay. Honest restoration is confession of a sin and restoration of the person who has been fully restored to God and then restored to people. So, so we're going to bounce around for a little while between a couple of passages, mostly Matthew 18 and 1 Corinthians 5. Well, also, well, I, I shouldn't say that because I'm looking at that. I think I only have 1 Corinthians 5 once here. Now, a couple times, 2 Corinthians a few times, but uh, if you put a finger in those places, put a stick of finger in Matthew chapter 18, and, and we'll, we'll see some things. And Matthew 18 is, is kind of a full package deal. It's, Matthew is the teaching. He teaches it. As we look at First and Second Corinthians, we see the examples of it, uh, of these principles. So first, confront uh, the teaching. Matthew 18, verse 15, tells us... Uh, Pretty simply, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. <laughs> that's, that's really complicated. Would you like me to repeat it? <laughs> okay. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him your fault. Uh, he, he, uh, you know, because here's what we do is, is he sins against us and we go, oh, I hate that. I'm going to talk about him for weeks. <laughs> go and tell him his fault. Hey. I saw you key my car. I, Mark Smith got a new car. Did anybody see that? Uh, he, he has been parked out in front of, in front of the Davenport Times, a brand new Subaru. I, I sent him an email. I said, hey, Mark, I see somebody's parking in your spot. Would you like me to come slice, slit his tires for you? <laughs> I was really surprised when he didn't immediately email back. <laughs> but they, they got a brand new car, really nice. But, but uh, you know, somebody keys the car. You see, you see me, and I'm going, man, I don't have a new Subaru. <laughs> <laughs> Mark, Mark sees me key and he comes out and goes, Steve, I saw you key my car. 
Okay, confront Steve for keying the car. It's a bad thing to do. Okay, you see your brother in sin, go and confront him. It's that simple. We have an example in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Of course, by the time we get to, by the time we read about this, it has built a little bit. And it's this horrible story of this guy who's, who's sleeping with his father's wife. Uh, and, uh, and the church is ignoring the issue. And he tells him to confront him. Okay, so chapter 5, verses 1 through uh, uh, 7. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans, for a man has his father's wife, and you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. For though absent in the body, I am present in the spirit, and as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit and his and my spirit is present with the power of the Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of his sin, flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. He says, Confront this guy. You should have confronted him. Don't ignore this. Don't pretend it's good. Don't say, Oh, wasn't God great? He can forgive anybody. He says, Don't let this sinner person be sinful in the church. Get rid of this person. That's number one. Confront. Second is restore. Once again, back in Matthew chapter 18. Same verse, 15, I'm just going to read a little bit more. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. That's like, yeah, because as long as, as, long as you know I keyed your car and you aren't confronting me, I'm walking around and there's a huge chasm between us because you know I've sinned against you and, and nothing's being done to fix it. Okay, it, how is it fixed? You come and say, Steve, you did it. And I say, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm an idiot. Uh, I hate to even say I'll pay for it because how much is that going to cost? Well, you know what? It doesn't matter. It's my fault. It's my job to, to fix it. But it restores the relationship. And we can go back and three years later, he can say, you remember when you keyed my car? Yes. <laughs> I'm sorry. But, you know, but we're better now, right? Yeah, okay. I'm just going to keep reminding you and rub it in because that's fun too. Okay. Uh, the, 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 the repent, the, the confront and restore. And that's the goal of it is restoration. Well, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, we have this, the rest of the story. Or at least it seems to be the rest of the story. This may be relating to something else, but it seems to be relating to that same issue that we read in 1 Corinthians of, of dealing with the sinful brother. So we turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, starting at verse 6. Now, if anyone has caused pain, he has caused it not to me, but in some measure, to put it, not to put it too severely, uh, to all of you. For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough, so you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him, so he may not be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So he, he repents. He says, I, 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 you guys are so right. I'm sorry. Well, you know, what do you do? You don't can say, no, I don't think that you have proven enough. I don't think you've suffered enough. I don't think I'm ready for you. To, he says, welcome the person back. He's repented, right? The goal is always restoration. The goal is never simply punishment. The goal is never simply confrontation. The goal is never simply butting a person out of the way so you don't have to deal with them. The goal is repentance. He says, for such a one, restore him, okay? And then for those who refuse to repent. So they, the, the per, I key the car, he comes up, and, and he says, I saw you key my car. And I say, yeah, good luck proving it. <laughs> right? Uh, guess what? That's not fixing anything, is it? It's, but it's digging me deeper in the hole. Right? I, he, I did it. He knows I did it. I'm saying, could care less. Right? I don't know how you prove this is the guy that keyed your car unless you look on the key and there's paint. <laughs> you know? But uh, um, 
yeah, I, I, I could just refuse it, okay? So we, we go on farther, Matthew 18 again, verses 16 to 17. We have the teaching. Matthew 18, verses 16 and 17. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Okay? So he says, okay, so the, the, the person who does, refuses to repent, uh, then bring some witnesses. If he still refuses to repent, take it to the whole church. Mark comes up in front of the whole church says, Steve keyed my car. I'm sitting there going, <laughs> and, 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 and uh, for whatever reason you choose to believe him, in this case he's selling it to I haven't, but you know what I'm saying. Because <laughs> I, I would talk to my lawyer before I had confessed in front of everybody. But <laughs> sorry, that's a really bad example, isn't it? <laughs> bad pastor. <laughs> uh, he... Uh, you know, the refuser, then you tell it to the church, and the church says, you know what, we're going to treat you as a tax collector and a sinner. And there's all sorts of debate over what that means. So we're going to, now that we've had the teaching, we're going to look at the example. Okay? Uh, we have a more than one example, but, but let's look at 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. Okay? We have the example of someone who has apparently refused to repent after being confronted. 1 Timothy chapter 1, we have two names here, uh, verses 19 and 20. Okay, that doesn't look right. Is it? Okay, yeah, I was looking at verse 18. That's my problem. Uh, Holding faith and good conscience, by rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith. Among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. What's interesting is you say, that hand, that sounds familiar. Didn't we just read this? Yeah, we did. We just read that in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, where we talked about the guy who, who was living with his, or sleeping with his father's wife. Uh, and he said, I already have handed him over to Satan, that he may learn not to blaspheme. We find it here in 1 Timothy chapter 1, where they, I've handed them over to Satan, that they learn not to blaspheme. That, that's, that is the, the illustration of the, of the teaching we have in Matthew. So in Matthew, we can argue over what it means to be a tax collector and a sinner, but when we look at the illustration, we recognize, here's what it is. These people are to be handed over to the world. They're, they're, they're to be treated as sinners in the world. And when it says tax collector, it's talking about the guy that you don't want to associate with. The tax collector, you know, we don't like tax collectors in our government, <laughs> in our world. Our world, at least they're on the same side, <laughs> you know. Our, our, our government is is. is so highly superior to what they had, and our taxes, I don't care what you think of our taxes, it's far better than what these guys were paying taxes for, and, and uh, they, they did not like the tax collectors, they were people who sold out and were working for the occupying forces, uh, and, and uh, he says, treat them like them, and you know, you did not treat those people as your buddies, you did not treat them as the friends, you held them at arm's length, and, and so we find in, in both 1 Timothy and in 1 Corinthians, uh, uh, hand them over to Satan that they may be taught not to blaspheme. So we have this example. We have this Bible example, the teaching and the example of what to do when a brother sins. Okay, and I've said this many times, most, most of the time, because we want to be good, we want to be pleasing to God. You confront a brother in sin, and he repents because he wants to be good, right? But every now and then we'll have the person who says, no, I want my sin more than I care about you and what you say, and more than I care about God, and more than I care. And so you say, okay, that's what you've asked for, that's what you're going to get, okay? That's what we find in Scripture. But the church is not doing this. 
And by the church, I mean the church as a whole, I mean churches specifically, uh, the church in general is not doing this. The church is not confronting sin in our world, sometimes because it is unwilling. There was an example I heard about. I never confirmed this, aside from the person I was talking to. Someone told me once, years and years ago, that at one of the other churches in town, there was a board member who, was, who had left uh, their spouse and was living with another person right here in town. And I said, are, are you, that sounds like one of those things that go around the mill. I don't believe it's true. Oh, no, I know this, in fact, it's true. That's as far as I got confirmation. But I'm going, whoa, what kind of a church would allow that to happen? And the answer is a church that is afraid. A church that is afraid. Why would you, why, what would you be afraid of? Well, for one thing, you would be afraid of offending a difficult person. <laughs> you know, there are some people you say, it's, it's too much trouble to, 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 to confront this person. I don't want to go through that. It's, it's, it, the price I'm going to pay is too high. I don't want to have to deal with this person. Sometimes it's afraid of losing the person. You know, it's like, oh, no, if we do that, then the person will leave, and, and we, they, we won't have them anymore. Uh, it, it, we will lose the opportunity, right? Fear of losing the opportunity. We'll lose the opportunity to be salt and light in their life, and so we won't be able to help them come to Christ or return to Christ or something like that. Sometimes it's afraid of retribution, right? Oh, no, will we be sued? Will I be sued? What will they say? What will they, the, the, the story be as it goes throughout the community? Uh, sometimes it's a fear of chasing others off. You know, at one point in our church history, we uh, exercised church discipline against, against a couple of people and another family left. They said, I don't want to be part of a church that would do that. Right, uh, and 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 we lost other people, and, and there's fear of all these things, and every one of them is legitimate. Every one of them can happen. Every one of them does happen. And when I say legitimate, I don't mean legitimate enough to to follow those instead of of the uh, God's word. But what I am saying is, every one of those fears do come true. Right? Every one of them do come true. They're not unfounded fears. The problem is, are they, are they substantial enough to be in competition against what God's word says to do? And the answer is no. Sometimes doing God's word is scary. Sometimes obeying God's word carries a price. And what we find is sometimes the church is unwilling to pay that price to follow God's word. And we have to be willing to do that. So sometimes it's because uh, the church is simply unwilling, but sometimes it's because the church is simply unaware. Right? Sometimes the church is simply unaware. You know, in, in today's world, and it's not so much in the, in the small community, but in today's world it is easy to just go to another church where they don't know. And they don't know, and so they don't do anything. Uh, I, I, I had a friend. I'm going to try to keep this story short. He was influential in my life, in my early Christian walk. Uh, he later... Um, <laughs> it's just a bizarre story. His wife left him, started sleeping around, so he, he remarried another woman, wonderful, godly woman. He left her and did the same thing. Right. Well, I, I, his, his wife, his, his new wife, she, this is in Minnesota, she calls me, she asks me, she says she'll buy a ticket if I'll come talk to him. So I flew over there to talk to him. I was sure when I met him at his door, he would crumble. And he didn't. Instead, he insisted, insisted he was okay. And, and I was there for a few days, and we kept working through, and I went to church with him one day. And, and, and this was one of the churches he had attended. And it turns out that this was his normal process, as he would go to a church for a while. And he would go with the woman he was now living with, 
and her children, and everybody thought they were a family. And he was teaching Sunday school, according to his story, in one of these churches. Well, he was, had a lot of biblical knowledge. He had a lot of biblical history. He had this horrible, ungodly lifestyle, but nobody knew it. And so because they didn't know it, they couldn't confront it. And every, he'd be there, he'd, he wouldn't be at a church for more than two or three months or maybe four or five months. And then he'd move to another one so that nobody could find out and he could get away with his sin. So the church was unable to confront his sin. Right? As far as I know, he has not changed his lifestyle. But I suspect he's a really miserable, unhappy man because that was quite a while ago. And God will not let uh, the sinner get away with that. But the fact is, one way or another... The church is doing a poor job of, of confronting sin. Sometimes because it is unwilling. Sometimes it's because you, you don't confront sin you're not aware of. If you see your brother in sin, go and confront. every now and then I'll hear a story. You know, so-and-so told me that so-and-so is doing this. And I just look at it and I go, you know, I can't do anything with that. I can't do anything with third-hand knowledge of a sin. Right? Uh, it's simply, uh, it's, it's not scriptural, it's not biblical, it's not, it's, it's not wise. <laughs> I, but I, I never forget. <laughs> you know, and, and sometimes I, I'm able to check things out, but I'm not going to play private detective, I'm not going to hunt down, go on witch trials, that kind of thing. But, but, but sometimes you just don't know. Okay, uh, so, so the, the, we, we find clearly, scripture gives us clear description of what we should do. We find it's difficult in our world to do it. So then we come into the problem where this really becomes personal. What do I then do with a Christian who is living in sin and the church is doing nothing about it? How do I then relate? How do I then live in this world with sinner Christians who are choosing sinful lifestyles that, that, that are out of my reach that way? And, and I think that is the question who, that, that prompted this message. In fact, my note says, uh, responding to this sinning Christian who's been failed by the church. Failed by the church and that the church did not do its job of confronting <clears throat> the sin. Meaning not just necessarily the whole church, but even the one person. And because of you're in this situation, you might be that one person, but you're out of the loop as far as where this person lives or where this person goes to church. Or you don't have the ability. You know, I visited my friend in Minnesota. He didn't have a church. I, said, I think I said it like a Minnesotan there, didn't I? <laughs> Minnesota. <laughs> uh, he, 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 there was no church. There's no pastor I could go to. You know, there was no church I could go to. There, there was nothing I could do more than what I did that I'm aware of anyway. Uh, and that I did do, I'll tell you what else I did do, and it's, it's part of the answer, but it's not, uh, anyway, how do I respond to a Christian, how do I respond to a Christian living a sinful lifestyle? What, what can I personally do when the church hasn't done what it's supposed to do? How do I respond to that? You know, they live somewhere else, they go to, to another church, or try this one, the church they're going to says what they're doing is okay. Because that happens a lot. Because, frankly, uh, you, you go to a church that says what you're doing is sin, you can go find another church that says what you're doing is just fine. And, and, and you can say, I'm going to this. And when, you say, and when you say, I've had this happen to me before, I've said, well, that's a sinful thing. They say, and I've had people tell me, my church, in my church, it's okay, because in my church, we love each other. Right? Because love, obviously, allows us to be bad. That's not true, by the way. <laughs> But that's what they're saying. 
the, uh, by, by implication at least, love allows us to be bad. So how am I supposed to treat that person? Or maybe the person simply isn't attending church at all. I've had that happen. You know, I, I say these things, I feel like people might think I'm always running around condemning sinners. Really, it doesn't happen that often. I've just been around a long time. <laughs> you know, my whole family was here yesterday. That, that's wonderful. Why they were here was not wonderful. <laughs> they were here to celebrate my birthday early. <laughs> Why are we trying to rush things here? (laughs) Are they worried I might not make it? (laughs) I don't remember. I was illustrating something there. (laughs) I don't know how I got there from they stopped attending church at all. Oh, I've been around a long time. Thank you. <laughs> so, so I've, thank you. So I've been around long enough that I've had a lot of different experiences, even though these are not regular things. I don't want to give the idea, the impression that, oh, we take great joy in exercising church discipline, and we do this a lot. But, but uh, I'm trying to think of... of uh, oh, I, I, I've had that happen where I go to people, I've gone to people to confront them in their sin, and I've had this answer. Well, I don't go to your church anymore. And the answer, and why don't they go to the church anymore? Because we say it's wrong. And my answer is really simple. The Bible does not say if you see a church, a member of your church sinning, go and reprove him in private. It says if you see a brother sinning, go and reprove him in private. And I don't care where he fellowships, right? Because he is your brother, and these people still claimed Christ. And they were trying to claim Christ and live the sinful lifestyle. And, and, and frankly, uh, you just... And, and do you have fear when you do it? You do. You bet you do. Of course you do. Especially in our world where you can be sued. <laughs> and, and you just have to say, I will, I will take that chance. I, I will do that. And you go, I don't know if I want to go that step. Uh, I'm, you know, you have to make that choice. Uh, how, but how am I supposed to treat that person? And it can be difficult. It can be difficult to know what to do. And it can be difficult when you have decided you know what to do, to do it. You know, there's, there's more than one kind of difficult there because uh, if anybody has never done something that's difficult to do, you are a loser, sorry. <laughs> because life is hard, right? When life gets hard, you must be tough. It's, it's that simple. You know, a really fascinating thing, maybe I referred to this last week because it has really been on my mind, but they were talking about those Thai boys in the cave. You know, I don't remember, how many days were in the cave? Like 10? 18? Right? And, and I forget how many days before they even found them. And, and they were talking to an, a psychologist on the news, a child psychologist. And, and one of the things she said that just really hammered Jonah and myself, and we've talked about it uh, a, a couple of times, is one of the things she said is they have more, phys- or more, more uh, uh, mental toughness than Americans do. I thought, wow, that's interesting. They have more emotional toughness because we baby ourselves. We protect ourselves from hardship. We protect our children from hardship. We bail them out. We make life easy for them. We do everything so they don't have to struggle or suffer. And they grow up without mental toughness. And and I thought, wow, that is huge. Uh, and, And you know what you have to do to be a faithful Christian sometimes? You have to be mentally tough. You have to be emotionally tough, able to take the blow, able to take the offense, able to take the gossip, able to take the slander. You have to have the toughness to take what what you know is going to come if you do the right thing. And, and, And there's only one way I know to develop toughness. 
You want to get tough hands? Take your little baby soft, wimpy hands out and do hard work. And the first thing you will know is you have blisters. <laughs> and you develop calluses and then your hands get tough. You don't develop toughness by saying, gee, I wish my hands were tougher. I'm going to, I'm going to rub them on this for a little while, and tomorrow I'll rub them for a little while longer. <laughs> you, <know? laughs> you don't baby yourself into toughness. God will provide opportunities for toughness. Anyway, uh, so, so we have uh, that it's difficult to do, it's difficult to know, and it's difficulter to do. Uh, And I was thinking about this as I was working on this sermon, and I thought about this whole church, and I'd give these examples of church discipline uh, that I've been a part of. I can also give examples of ones that we didn't do, by we meaning starting here. And, and frankly, it's because I was not tough enough. I looked at it and I said, I'm not ready for this one. And, and while not everybody that we have followed through with any form of church discipline, is, is living a wonderful Christian life now. Everyone that we should have but did not is not. What do you do with that? That's a failure. That's a failure on my part. It's a failure on our part. If we want, I, I, I look at this and I, I, I thought, I am really glad to have this sermon suggestion because I need this reminder because it is too easy to just ignore things and let them go. It is much easier to ignore them and let them go. But if Jesus talked about the 99 sheep and the one who was lost, the one who was lost needs that attention. And you can't be happy and say, well, at least we have the 99. But frankly, that's what we mostly do. Okay, We don't get to do that. Uh, we know what the Bible says. You know, this is still on the issue of, but then what do I personally do? How do I personally deal with this? We go back to what the Bible says. You personally remind them that what they're doing is wrong. And you don't do this with hatred. You don't do this with venom. You don't do this with anger and frustration boiling out. of You do this with love. Because you want them to be right. You want them to do what's right. And you go to them and say, what you're doing is wrong. You need to stop doing this wrong thing. And, and, and I want to tell you something about that person. That person already knows that truth. They are living in that truth. Because they are believers, they do not escape that truth. You know, the, 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 the sinful person out there, the, the, the unsaved sinner out there may be able to claim it's right because my culture says it's right, my, co my, my, my colleagues say it's right, uh, everybody around me is doing it also, therefore it is fine and you're, you're wrong and a hypocrite to tell me it's wrong. But the believer knows it. Believer knows it even as they're doing it. They, you know, sometimes you might be the strength they need. All they need is for someone to be able to tell them what you're doing is wrong, you need to stop it. And, and it's like they're almost, they almost want, I want to say almost, I'm not going to say they do, and they might maybe is another word, somebody just to come and tell them, stop doing what you're doing. And it may be with great relief that they respond to that reminder. And if you have the opportunity, you bring others to confront 
and others to confirm. But you not, may not have that opportunity because chances are, I'm not, and this is really not talking about the person who's here, or, or by here I mean you know, in our general close locality. It's talking about the person who, who, who is somehow in some way out of your d- direct reach that way, but, but you're in contact with them. Is, is, uh, you, you may not have the ability to confront or confirm them in that way. But you know what you can do? You can encourage them to ask someone else. You can say, hey, you know what? Don't take my word for it. Call so-and-so. Or maybe if I'm more real, text so-and-so. <laughs> and ask them what they think about it. Don't tell them I put you up to it. Don't tell them what I think. Just ask them what they think about it. Because it, chances are if you know somebody, you know another somebody who also knows that somebody. <laughs> you know we're networked. It's our lives. And don't just find pe- you know, tell them not just to find people who are doing the same thing or will confirm what you're doing, but, but find people who are imp- truly you know, will give you the honest truth. And, and because the truth will be repeated by honest people. So, so, so try that. But, but ultimately, you have to go to that point where you have nothing to do with them. And that's what I did for my former friend in Minnesota. Is, is I'm pretty sure I told him the words. It's hard. It's a lot of years back. I don't remember all that clearly. But I handed him over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh and the, the saving of his soul. You say, well, how do you do that? It's easy. I said, dear Lord, I've done everything I can. I place him in your hands for the destruction of your soul, or destruction of his flesh and the saving of his soul. And, and for quite a while, I prayed that regularly. And time goes by, and he kind of dropped off my radar. I don't know. don't pray for him too often anymore. Actually, every now and then, I'll remember and pray for his wife, who I hope has found a good, godly Christian man since that time. Uh, because I know that was, she wanted to be a godly woman married to a godly man. She just didn't work out that way for her. And you do that whether or not there is a church around you that's supporting you. Meaning your church or their church. You still do the right thing. And and that's hard to do. And there's an objection that comes right up front. It says, but that's what the cults do. Cults are really good at shunning the person who leaves the cult. Cults are really good at calling people sinners and having nothing to do with them. But I'll tell you something. There is a major difference. It's that you are doing it out of love. You are doing it out of obedience. And you are seeking to restore them to Christ. Your goal is not to to just bring them back into fellowship with you, but to fellowship with Christ. But in order to do that, you have to be willing to take that step. You have, to, you, you have to be willing to let go of your own logic and reasoning and accept what God's word says. Unless I've interpreted this wrongly. I mean, you may say, but see, there's an, this is an entirely different verse that says, you know, cushion them back or something. I don't, <laughs> I don't think it's there. I've read the Bible a couple times. If we don't do that out of fear of how we might look, if we don't do that out of fear of how it might turn out, or the repercussions it might have on us, then we are allowing fear to overcome faith. And that's why the church is not doing this in the cases where it is unwilling, is it is allowing fear to overcome faith. And we must take our faith and let it overcome our fears. We must be obedient 
when it's easy and when it's hard, when, when there is a price and when there is no price. I'll tell you, there are both sorrow and joy to be found in dealing right, rightly with the Christian who's choosing to live in sin. And, and the joy is for the brother who repents. I tell you, there is more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than of 99 who need no forgiveness. Right? That's not just true for salvation. That's true for, for restoration. So there's great joy, but there's also sorrow over the brother who ignores you and continues in sin. I, when I think of my friend, sometimes call him friend, sometimes former friend, I never think of him with joy. I can remember stories of our lives before that happened and happy things and positive things. And I remember discussions we had. I remember confronting him with sin once. He tended to have a little bit of potty mouth every now and then. And I was this new believer, and I said, hey, I wish you wouldn't say that. And he looked at me and goes, that offends you? I said, yeah. He says, oh, I'm sorry. I'll never do that again. And he didn't, <laughs> at least not around me. <laughs> you know, it was same guy. Wish he'd have paid that much attention the second time. There is so much sorrow over a brother who ignores you and continues to sin. But I'll, I can tell you this, as someone who has experienced all three, the greatest sorrow is when you did not confront the person and they continue in sin until you feel you've lost the opportunity. And that person not only is continuing in sin, but you know you bear a, a, a stake in that. You bear a share in the sin that they're continuing to do. Okay, I told you, last week's was fun. <laughs> holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. But because he is holy, 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 and we want to have fellowship with him, we must deal with sin honestly. And when the believer is walking in sin, we who are trying to live with him need to do our part if we love him and if we love them. Okay, let's close with a word of prayer. Father God, I thank you first that you are holy because that is where our only hope is, is, is you're merciful and mighty. Lord, I ask that we will live a reflection of your holiness in our lives. Father, when we sin, that we will repent. And when we see a brother in sin, that we will help him to repent, that he will have the joy of walking with you. We praise you and thank you in Jesus' name.